0: This is Native America Calling. I'm Alyssa London filling in for Sean Spruce. Many Native children grow up hearing traditional stories about what will happen to them if they get out of line. There are a host of scary beings that can haunt them, even kidnap them to a new realm if they don't do what their parents say. Some of the scary stories act as warnings to keep kids safe. Today we'll hear from some storytellers and others who can give us a look at the role spooky stories play. We're right back after the news.
1: This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Alaska will now be part of the oral histories collected by the Interior Department. To document the abuse, Alaska Native children suffered at government boarding schools. As KMBA's Rhonda McBride reports, a Tlingit elder from Sitka was among those to testify.
2: My Tlingit name is Shaganastah.
3: Bob Sam says his Slinket name gives him an important responsibility. The word means the man
2: who taught human beings how to respect the dead.
3: And out of respect for the dead, Bob Sam called for a full accounting of what happened to Alaska Native children who were sent to schools out of state, where many died.
2: Every single boarding school child that has died, Her last thought was, I want to come home.
3: Sam says the remains of these children should be returned to their families so they can heal. He also says the Interior Department's investigation needs to use a wider net to include institutions like the Morningside Mental Hospital in Portland, Oregon. Before statehood and into the early 1960s, children with physical and intellectual disabilities were sent to the asylum. Many never returned. Some died.
2: This gets even deeper. You know how Morningside was funded. It was funded by the Department of Interior.
3: Sam told the secretary there was also an orphanage called Baby Louise Haven in nearby Salem, where many Alaska Native babies died, also funded by the federal government.
2: Let's be the best of who we are and let's bring our children home. In Anchorage, I'm Rhonda McBride.
1: Following the painful day of testimony in Anchorage on native boarding school abuse, the gathering moved outdoors for a totem pole raising, the first in the nation to be dedicated to boarding school survivors and their families. More than 500 people watched as the poll was positioned into place at the Alaska Native Heritage Center on Sunday. At the base, a mother bear holds her cubs close. A father in human form sits above her, crowned by feathers from Raven's tail, with Raven in the state of transformation. At the top of the pole, nestled in Raven's ear, are two children, a girl and a boy, gazing towards the generations to come. After hours of ceremony and preparations, it took only a few seconds for the pole to go up.
2: On your marks, get set,
1: pole! The pole was carved by two Haida brothers, Joe and T.J. Young. Joe says it was an honor for them to work on the pole.
2: If nothing, if it, if it helps people feel more comfortable when they come by it, think or, or talk out loud, maybe it'll help them out, knowing that other people's done the same thing, been through the same stuff, at least get the conversations going with healing, and that's kind of what it's for, is, is, is healing.
1: The Young brothers spent three months carving the pole. In Oklahoma, the Intertribal Council of Five Tribes has approved a resolution supporting the nomination of Sarah Hill to serve as a federal judge. Hill's a citizen of the Cherokee Nation and the tribe's former attorney general. Last week, President Joe Biden announced his intent to nominate Hill for the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Oklahoma. I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
4: National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.
5: Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sonoski Chambers Law. Support for law and justice-related programming provided by Hobbs, Stros Dean & Walker, LLP, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for over 40 years. More information available at hobbstroth.com.
4: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.
0: Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Alyssa Yakhiri-London. Growing up, I was told about the story of Kushtika, who was part human, part otter, and could either save you or lure you to ruin. Kushtika is a story meant to instill caution for people when they are near the water, but it's also a means to infuse and teach traditional Tlingit values. Many other tribes have similar traditions, scary stories about what happens when people don't do what they're supposed to do. We'll hear some select stories that include those traditions today. So how about you? Do you have scary traditions that give you guidance? Are there stories about menacing beings that you pass down to your children as a way to keep them from getting into trouble? We would like to hear whatever you're able to share. Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can also find us online. Comment on Facebook, Instagram, or go to our webpage, nativeamericacalling.com. So our first guest is from Toluca, Oklahoma. His name is Chuji Kingfisher. He's a storyteller and was named the 2019 Cherokee National Treasure. He's a member of the United Band of Katua Band of Cherokee Indians in Oklahoma. Welcome to Native American Calling, Chuji. Thank you for being here.
2: Oh, thank you for
4: having me here today.
0: Thank you. So can you start us off with a scary story or a story you're able to tell us?
4: I can. I can. Um, the story the story takes place in a small community, and in this small community, there used to be an old school, and uh, the children, uh, whenever they would get out of school, they would walk across, and there was a railroad track, and there was many warnings from the parents and from the community not to play around those railroad tracks, but there was a young man. His name was Charlie. Now, Charlie, he liked to play around those railroad tracks, and he would hang back many times, and one day they were missing him. And so they went to the railroad tracks and unfortunately, Charlie had gotten his foot caught in the tracks and, and uh, had, a, had an accident with the train. And so Charlie passed away. There was many sad people there as they mourned the loss of Charlie. And throughout the years, many people had seen Charlie running behind the schools and on the school grounds and they just kind of dismissed it and it just became common occurrence that people would see charlie for years and years past well as the school began to grow they built a new school and the old rock school still stood there the old rock gym and one day they were having a halloween carnival and this carnival was to raise money for the senior class and they had a spook house in the old gym. Well, there was a young man that was the trickster of the class. And so as they were going through the spook house there in the old gym, they would come out the back door and there somewhere around the back door, this young man whose name was Billy would be there somewhere to kind of add a little scary to the end of the end of the ride. The night was drawing to a close and the last crew was coming through and as you could hear the screams coming through the gym, Billy was standing outside waiting. And as he was waiting, he was hiding behind an old propane tank, an old shed, uh, just whatever he could find and it was always in a different place so that way no one knew where he was going to jump out at. As the crew came out of the back door, giggling and laughing about the screams and everything that was going on. They were looking for Billy to jump out somewhere, but they couldn't see him anywhere. You see, Billy was a little bit further down, and he was hiding behind the old propane tank. And as he was looking out, he was getting excited because this was his last gear for the night. And as Billy was looking out around the propane tank, He was getting excited with anticipation as the people were walking around. And just as he was getting ready to jump out, he heard over his shoulder, get ready, they're coming. (laughs) Charlie was still there. They say that Billy was scared so bad that he never returned back to school. And they say that uh, Billy hasn't been seen since then. But Charlie... Charlie's still there, and if you pass by on a late night, just maybe, just maybe, you'll see Charlie too. At least that's the story that was told to me.
0: Where did you hear this story? <laughs>
4: it comes from one of our communities. You know, as I as I sit around uh, visiting with different people, uh, these stories pop up, and and so uh, so. I take those stories and sometimes I embellish them just a little bit. Um, that one is usually longer, but they, you know, uh, due to time constraints, I've had to shorten it down. But uh, but I enjoy listening to our community stories and I try not to div- divulge any uh, names like school names or areas or anything like that uh, just because I don't want people to go down there and, you know if I told that story and told you where it was, I'd have several people uh, driving back and forth trying to see trying to see Charlie you know <laughs> so so I just kind of leave those stories in the communities at least the names, and uh, I take the stories themselves with me and share them wherever I can.
0: Does that story have a name, and how do people react to it when you share it typically
4: uh, normally, you know. When I'm around the community here, of course it's it's a little bit eerie, you know, because uh, those those kinds of things still happen because there are still spirits around, and and a lot of times whenever whenever we hear things like that, uh, the old ones used to tell us to be be aware of your surroundings, you know, uh, because you never know what's there, you know. They used to my mother used to tell me that uh, there were times whenever they would be playing outside and. You know the children were so were so rambunctious and not really paying attention that uh, her mom would come out and and uh, chase them back in because there was a shadow playing with them and mom mom would always mention kick the can and uh, there was always a shadow out there another little kid playing with them and whenever they would be called in all the kids would run in but that uh, that one shadow would walk back out into the darkness. And so, you know, they, they always tell us, to be, around, be aware of your surroundings uh, because, you know, things are different, you know, especially when it gets dark.
0: Do you think that that story, like, helped you become more aware of your surroundings or that's one of the things that it was meant to teach?
4: Yeah, most definitely, most definitely because, you know, you, you never know what's what's going on, you know. And, uh, and in, in our world, you know, there's no... There's no division between spirit and, and natural world. Uh, it's all one because when you start to look, you know, and you begin to have those those eyes, you can see those things. And, and uh, of course, there are some people that are more perceptive than others, you know, but, uh, but those things are out there, and, and you have to be aware of your surroundings. Otherwise, you know, it'll catch you off guard.
0: Definitely. When did you realize you were a storyteller? Was it always a natural born gift or did it something you cultivated over time? It's
4: something that uh, I've been, of course, you know, in our in our language, uh storyteller is called liar. And and so, you know, you if you would have asked my mother when she was living, uh, she would have told you I've been a good liar all my life, you know. And uh, <laughs> but uh, but I've been doing storytelling oh, since I was about 12 and so I'll be fifty-three this year. So I've been doing I've been doing storytelling that long, you know, over forty years. And uh, over time, it's just developed into something that uh, I absolutely love. You know, I never thought that I would be doing this, uh, but uh, over time, it's been just a wonderful, wonderful gift to share. And uh, it gives me an opportunity to meet all these wonderful children, the wonderful people, and uh, I- I'm blessed. I really am. I'm blessed to be doing this for over 40 years and still going strong. You know?
0: So when you go and speak to children, tell us about that. Tell us about that experience, what you love about it.
4: What I love about it the most is when I hear them actually get into the story, uh, There's, uh, I was in Springfield, Missouri just a couple of weeks ago, and there was a young man that when I was telling the story, uh, he was reacting to the story like I was talking about a about a wolf, and uh, that wolf was, something had happened to the wolf, and that little boy was like, no, 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 you know, he was reacting to the story. That's what I wanna hear from the kids, not just the kids, but my audience in general. You know, when I have a, a more mature group with me, uh, I tell uh, stories more appropriate, and I love to see the looks on their faces because I can see them going back to those bygone days and that's what I want to do. I, I want to invoke that that uh, spirit of remembrance. I want to invoke that 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 spirit of life, you know, that they that they once had as kids. Because now that I'm getting older, you know, I look back and I'm like, man, I, I miss running around in in the woods. I miss running around on the creeks and, you know, in, in you know just just being out in in nature. I miss doing that that I had when I was a kid. You know, and, well, it, and so, it sounds like being that, that, a
0: storyteller allows you to get back to your childlike self and bring out that twinkle in the eye in others. That that sounds like a, an amazing skill that you get to share with people. Well, we're going to uh, start. I'm, we're going to talk more about this once we had to break um, in a few moments. So for our audience that's listening, if you have a tradition that is notable to your tribe, whether it's scary or not, Uh, please consider giving us a call and share whatever you're comfortable with. And you can either ask questions to our our resident storyteller that we've been talking to, Chuji, um, and we can hear more from him after the break. So the way to join the conversation is to call in at 1-800-99-NATIVE. And uh, yeah, you can even uh, converse with us on social media and our producer will get some of those questions. Uh, over to me and I'll ask them to our guests. Thanks for tuning in. This is Native America Calling.
6: The Chicago Bears gave a nod to and Kitchen, a Native business with a story to tell in the Windy City.
0: Karuk writer Sarah Calvosa Olson's new cookbook highlights the flavorful seasons of California. And the Minneapolis American Indian Center has a new chef at the helm of Gathering's Cafe. That's all on the next Native America Calling.
5: Support for this program provided by Vision Maker Media, who envisions a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. Nurturing the next generation of storytellers with courage, generosity, creativity, respect, and commitment. 45-plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org, whose slogan is, Together We Are Vision Makers.
0: Thanks for tuning in today. I'm your host, Alyssa Yaakia London. Today we're exploring the scary side of some Native traditions. There are some stories that are meant to scare people into doing the right thing. Do you have a spooky tradition that you want to talk about? If so, give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Now we have a caller, uh, Chinupa in Pine Ridge, South Dakota listening on Keeley, He has a story. Chanupa, can you share, us, uh, yes, yes. Thank share you with us our Thank story? Thank you, young
7: lady, for me, ha- having me on to your story. And this goes out to the guy that was a storyteller there. brother. Uh, 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 my grandma and my mom told me this story about the Moshigalo many years ago when I was a little boy. I'm 66 years old, and I still tell the story even to my grandkids. But one day, the great mystery called all the animal nations together and, f- and meet for seven days of their existing survival. So the eagles came, the falcon, the hawks and crows, the buffalo, the elk, the deer, the coyotes, the mountain lions, they all got together. So finally, the mojigalo, which is our bat, he woke up and he said, hey, I better get to this meeting. So he went to the meeting where all the wind creatures were. And here he was stopped at the front door, the front gate. The eagle and falcon, man, they pulled over. Hey, what are you doing, brother? You can't come here. You belong over there because you got fur on your back, which bats do. They have fur on their back. You belong over there with all the four-legged. So he took off, and he went back over to the four-legged. Then he was met by resistance again. The buffalo and the big elk, they came over. Hey, little brother, you can't come here. You got wings. You fly. You got talons. You belong with those guys. So he did this for seven times, and finally... He perched on top of this mountain. And he was looking down at everybody having their meanings and he To <laughs> any me? He cried, To any means nobody wants me. You can't. Who's crying? he is our owl. So he came and he said, What's the matter, brother? He said, I went to both places, man, where I belong and they didn't want me. Nobody wants me here. The night hog pulled in with the, the owl and I said, Hey brother, come on. You belong over here with us. We govern the night. So the bat they took him over to where well, all the wing creatures and animal creatures that understand the night. The moral of the story is, Mom told me and his grandma told me that when families are argumentative with each other, husband and wife, they have a disagreement, or even if it's disciplining children, they use that story to tell that and calm the whole community and the family down. And it's always wise to listen to nature because the nature can have problems resolved in a snap of a finger or a twinkle of an eye. And that goes to that brother that's speaking just now and to you, man. And he said, thank you for allowing me to come on. Wopila from the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. ha
0: Thank you, Chanupa. That was a great story. Appreciate you calling in and sharing that with all of us. And it had a great resolution, meaning what it what it teaches us. It teaches us that anything can change in the blink of an eye, and we need to have a lot of respect for Mother Nature. So all of these stories that we're listening to today, they are uh, meant to teach and educate and guide us. And we have another individual who. Is going to share a story with us. His name is Chris Honkahill. He's a co-host of the Spirit Talkers podcast. He's in Muskogee Creek. Welcome to Native America Calling, Chris.
8: It's Jay I said hello. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. How are you?
8: Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. I'm ready to tell a story whenever you guys are ready.
0: Oh, we are ready. Let's let's hear it. We're excited. Thank you.
8: Again, uh, just to let you guys know, I'm a full-blood Muscogee Creek uh, from Oklahoma. Anyway, uh, to make a long story short, we'll jump right into it. You know, Creeks, we have a lot of stories that we talk about that, you know, teach our youth, you know, several different lessons. And, you know, again, some of them are kind of scary, but, you know, at the end, you know, you take away something good from it. And this is a prime example. This is a... A story that's told amongst the Muscogee Creeks. You know, again, it goes long time ago when the animals used to talk. You know, talk to our kind. And, you know, they said there was a little boy. You know, Chabon. You know, he, that meant little boy. And uh, anyway, you know, he was always getting in trouble at home. And uh, one day, you know, he began to get real upset. You know, he got mad at his folks. You know, and he was pacing around, and, you know, uh, he started packing his stuff up. Well, he had a, 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 a dog named Miko, which means chief. And uh, this uh, dog, he was a uh, chief amongst those dogs in that area. Anyway, uh, Miko saw that little boy packing his little stuff up and, you know, looked like he was going to go on a trip. And so Miko asked Chabon, so what's what's going on here? What you doing? And, you know, Chabon, he's crying. and you know, He said, I'm tired, tired of living here. You know, every time I turn around, I can't do nothing right. My mom's always getting on to me. My dad's always getting on to me they're always bossing me around so i'm tired of this i'm gonna run away and and they'll be sorry that they treated me like that miko told the said hey hey he said you know your folks are just trying to teach you you know teach you things you know you should you know listen to them you know he goes no i'm done with that he said i made up my mind and i'm leaving so he picks up his little things, and he begins to walk into the woods. And Miko, he uh, whistles for his his troop, his troop of dogs, to follow follow Chabon. They begin walking. They're going through the woods. And you know Miko's trying to talk to Chabon, telling him, said, you know, growing up is tough. You know, we don't know everything. He said, you know, sometimes we have to listen to guidance you know, from people that's been around. He goes, yeah. Chabon says, yeah, I just, but I'm tired of it. You know, it seems like I can't never do anything right. Everybody's got to tell me something. You know, I can't just live life. I want to I wanna be free. I feel like a slave. You know, he begins to walk, and Miko tells him, said, Chabon, you know, there's a lot of things out in this world that are old. Some things that can hurt you. He said, maybe you ought to go back home, you know, before it's too late. Sabon says, no. He said, I'm I'm, I'm I'm, running away, never to return. So he keeps walking, and so Miko stays right by his side. It starts to get darker and darker and darker. Before you know it, it's nighttime, and the temperature has dropped. Out in the darkness they see a light flicker in the distance. And and Chabon says, I'm gonna head towards that light. So maybe it's a house or a shelter. I can at least get warm. Maybe they might have food. Miko says, Hold up, said, you know, we're in a strange land. We don't know. We don't know what's over there. Let us hold off. Let us wait and let me send a scout to what, what, what's ahead of us And Chabon says no He said you know I want to hurry up and get over there Because I'm getting cold So again you know Chabon you know heads to that Light he comes upon this Old look uh, Like a, a shack Kind of uh, Building He looks around He looks inside And he notices there's a table in there in a huge fire, fireplace. And on that table is a lot of food. So Chabon says, I'm gonna go in there and I'm gonna eat something, but I'm gonna see if anybody's around. So he says, Hello, hello, anybody there? Anybody there? Nobody answers. Miko says, Hold up, so we don't know whose house this is. I don't think we should go in there. And Chabon says, Well, I'm cold and I'm hungry. I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to you know, get something to eat, and I'm going to sit by the fire and take a nap. So he goes in and sits down and begins to help himself to all that food that's on the table. Miko comes in, looks around the room, notices that there's shields and many spears, many different bows sitting around against the wall, a lot of blankets and, and ornaments, war ornaments, you know, scalp locks and different things like that on the tables. Miko tells Chaban, says, hey, I don't think we should be in here. He said, this looks like a, a war memorial for a great warrior. Said, you know, you look, there's, there's shields here, there's spears and there's bows and, and scalp locks. Said so this, this, this guy must have been a great warrior, and this is his uh, memorial building. He said, that food is laid out for him. I, he said, I think we should leave. We should go. Jabon says, no. He said, I'm tired. I'm full. Got my belly full. I just want to lay by this fire and get warm. And said, you know, uh, if this is a memorial, that means this guy's passed on. So he, he won't never come here. Miko says, I, I don't think that's a good idea. But Chabon goes and sets by the fire, and lays down, and begins to sleep. So Miko makes an order to all his dogs to sleep around Chabon, to watch over him and protect him while he sleeps. So they all start to lay around, around, uh, around this young man. They said, Night gets gets to be later and later, and it's getting colder and colder, and pretty soon they hear outside, every footstep coming towards that area. Miko wakes up and tells tells Chabon, said, wake up now. said, that, that spirit is here. He's outside, and he knows we're here. He said, "You know, at this time, he said, I need you to run back home. So whatever happens here, we're going to try to defend defend you, but we need you to run home." And uh, about that time, you hear those footsteps running towards that building, and it stops right at the doorway, lets out a big war cry, "Yeah!" And about that time, Miko orders his first troop to attack. They go out, out that door to attack that being. You hear growls and bones crunching and, and snapping and, and things rust, rustling around. Anyway, Miko tells Chabon said, you know, you need to go, Said so this thing's gonna be hard to defeat. You know, this was a great warrior at one time. And he said, you know, we don't know if we can defeat him, but we're going to give it our all. And again, by that time, you know, Chabon just still stands there, you know, defiant. And Nico orders his next trip of dogs to run out that door to attack. They go. And again, you're hearing dogs growl and snap. You're hearing them cry, whimper. You hear heavy hits going, and pretty soon it's down to his last troop. Miko turns to Jabon and says, this is my last group. He said, we're going to give it all we got. He said, but now it's too late. You need to run as fast as you can towards your house, and we're going to try to hold him off. The last go. This is our last stand. He orders his last troop to go out there. Miko joins them. They say, you know, again, there was great wrestling, great, great noise of, of, of things being broken. And they say the sun begins to rise. And before you know it, the sun is up. And there is nothing but dust. It begins to fall. And that spirit had disappeared. But amongst, when all that dust settles, all those dogs are laying around. Only one survivor is Miko, but he's broken in half. Jabon kneels down to him to pick him up and says, Miko, he said, I'm sorry for not listening to you. And Miko tells Javon, said, you know, because you didn't listen, My kind will never talk to your kind ever again, because you don't know how to listen. And that's the moral to this story is that sometimes, you know, because you don't listen, you may cause things bad to happen that you can never fix. Modo.
0: Thank you. That was a great story and a good moral to all of us to think about how we need to listen. So thank you so much. How did that story affect you when you first heard it? Well, again,
8: I, I grew up hearing all those kind of stories. And me, I, I love those kind because to me, one, it has to deal with the supernatural beings. And also in, the, in that story, like uh, Mr. Kingfisher said earlier, there's some things that you have to leave out when you're telling to the public. But there's a lot of other stuff that goes into that story that our people get, get out of. You know, one one of them are are these supernatural beings, for one. Some of them we don't want to name, you know, because we believe that they're real. And if you name them, they will come. And so this story kind of has a little bit of that as well in there. But it also has a little bit of what we call, uh, how you say, dealing with, uh, uh, how you say, What they call them, cryptids as well. But also uh, in this story, the original story, you hear about these houses that our Muskogee people use for ceremonies, you know, and and for funeral ceremonies. And those, if you come to Creek and Seminole country, at cemeteries, we have these little houses over the graves. And that kind of talks about that kind of information as well so again that's a real shortened version and a lot of stuff is left out in that story
0: well thank you chris so much for joining us on native American calling today that story had a great lesson to it and it was just a preview of i'm sure the many stories that you uh, tell children and tell members of your community in order to give them guidance and how they can live their life in Harmony with spiritual beings and also live their life to hopefully avoid trouble. So for everyone listening to the show uh, If you have any scary stories that you want to tell and share that can offer some guidance or um, Lessons and are notable within your tribe. We'd love to hear from you. The way to join the conversation is a call in at 1-800-99-NATIVE also you can Uh, interact with us on social media and our producers will route those questions to me and you can go to nativeamericacalling.com to check out past episodes and also if you like this one it's a way to share it with your friends and you know give them some guidance and lessons from these great storytellers we're hearing today so we're going to take a break and then we're going to hear from some more storytellers talk to you soon hear from you soon
2: Keshi, jamton health the wellness ayu pachate ato. Jamcholan tabiya nikina iya yu pachate ato maketo na na ta RSV the season flu the COVID-19 booster vaccines elanai kaci. 800 ayu yan kan yan san tonemi ta kwa mosawa shor da iston vaccine da kaf kunawa to. Look kesenus for medicare medical services don up in anitulo kenawa
0: Glad to have you here at Native America Calling today. I'm your host, Alyssa Yachia de London. We're talking about traditions that instill a little bit of fear in order to keep people in line. And you can still join our conversation by calling in at 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. We have a caller, Liz, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, listening in on KUNM. Liz, I hear you have a great story for us. Hi, yes, hello,
6: Alyssa. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, This happened here in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico at one of the notable boarding schools. Back in the 90s, I was friends with some of the boarders. I was a day student, and one day when I came to school, I asked how the evening had went, and uh, some of the students looked rather tired and, and bothered, and they said that the night prior... They were in the dorms, and uh, they used, used to have about four or five students per room, all from different areas, all from different tribes and nations. And in this particular room, there were a couple of students that had gotten together to play with a Ouija board. And one of the students in that room, I don't think she was present, uh, they're, they're allowed to have their traditional dolls out, I believe it was a kachina doll. And so these students started playing with the Ouija board, and uh, they said that that doll started dancing, and they could hear it.
0: Oh my gosh, that's that's scary. Uh, was there a lesson that they took from seeing People the... They had to get
6: pulled out of the entire dormitory, and they were pulled into the gymnasium, and told to sleep in there for the night, they had to call in the the reinforcements or uh, medicine people and healers, and they had to go in and go in that building and and take care of some things. But the students that had to sleep in the gymnasium didn't get a good night's sleep, and uh, they learned their lesson after that.
0: And can you break down that lesson for us? (laughs) Don't be playing with the Ouija boards. (laughs) <laughs> when did you first hear this story?
6: Oh, uh, This was back in the late 90s, and, and this was a, a second-hand account from a friend who had, had had to sleep in the gymnasium. She wasn't in that room when it happened, but they had to clear out the whole dorm due to that.
0: And so she and you both learned not to play with the Ouija board. And have you shared that one with your children too?
6: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely.
6: (laughs) Just don't do it. Just say no.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you, Liz. That was a great story. I hope you have a great day. Uh, We're going to move on to a caller uh, named Frida up in Barrow, Alaska, listening on KBRW. Frida, do you have a scary story that teaches us a lesson?
9: Yes, I do. I will just go ahead and get started. Avayaq and Ulimoun lived on Cake Eater and it was their first Halloween in the neighborhood. It's a darker and more, more remote area in Barrow. The Northern Lights danced brightly in the sky, a mixture of green, yellow, blue and a little red. Avayaq and Ulimoun started to sing. Kingwaki, ki, ki, angi angi ya. Dalu dak binyo, The Northern Lights danced and danced coming lower and lower. Ulimon told Avayak stop singing, they're going to come down and cut our head off and play catch. Avayak sang louder and louder. Ulimon shoved Avayak to keep walking in the neighborhood as trick-or-treating was coming to an end. Avayak and Ulimon were walking back home, and they saw red eyes in the distance by the snow fences. Avayak is mischievous and curious and told Ulimon, come on, let's walk there, we have five more minutes. Ulimon said, no, mom was going to get mad at us if we're late. Avayak said, it's Halloween. She won't get mad. Uliman was older and remembered what his late appa told him. His appa told him, never go towards the light or red eyes. You will get lost, and they will play tricks on you. Uliman never questioned who an appa appa told him. There is a place called Sinakta Nailuk where you can never sleep. The spirits are too strong. Uliman shared what he learned from his appa, and Avayak said, we are not at camp. Don't worry. Little did they know two hundred years ago on this day two young boys, Akutchuk and Ivok, were out tittu hunting before the first blizzard arrives. They followed a the Titu for miles and they were getting tired. They made a little snow house and it was the exact area that Avayak and Uliman were. As they were building the snow house they saw the red eyes in the distance. Akutuchuk told his brother Ivok, Sama, uh, that might be a Titu. I'm hungry, let's go walk there. Ivok said it's too dark, we can't see. Akachuk said, the full moon is out. It is enough light for us. Ivok knew that winter is upon us, and they needed food. They started walking towards the eyes, and they kept walking and walking, but seemed like they never got close. They were getting farther and farther from the village and from the snow house they just made. As they were walking towards the red eyes, they heard snow crunching around them and sounded like footsteps. Ivok said, Akuchuk, stop. Akakuk said, What am I what? I'm not doing anything. The red eyes disappeared and they were lost. The footsteps crunching in the snow became louder and louder, but they couldn't see anything. Ivok and Akajuk started running and whatever was out there started running after them. The immunaraks, the little people, played a trick on them and led them far out in the land. Aylok and Ukuchuk disappeared and were never to be heard from again. The older men in the neighborhood went out at dawn to try and locate the young hunters. They followed the footprints until the footprints vanished and no trace of Aylok and Ukuchuk. This place is called Sinecturnailok, the place where you never sleep, never follow the red eyes, or if you hear a name, don't go towards it. The story of Aivak and Akutuk were told to young hunters and passed down from generation to generation and was told to Avayak and Uliman by their appa. As Avayak was walking towards the red eyes into the tundra, Uliman said, Avayak, you need to listen to me and come back. We need to go home. Avayak ran back to the road. As he was walking back towards the road, the red eyes disappeared. Their mom was looking for them, and as as they, she picked him up, Ulymang told his mom, I told Avayak that we had to go home, but he didn't listen. Avayak said, "But it, Mom, it's Halloween, and the full moon is out. As they were driving home, Ulymang told his mom about their red eyes and how Avayak didn't listen as walking towards them. Their mom said, Avayak, our elders tell us things because they care about us, and the elders know the land, know the history, know about the spirits. When the elders tell us where we can go and not go, they tell us for a reason. Or if they tell us not to follow the lights or listen to the baby cry or when someone calls your name, Uliman is your older brother, and he's watching out for you. Their mom was stern with Avayak and Ulimam and told them, no matter what, you need to be respectful to the land, to the spirits, and to the iminara." As they were driving home and getting ready for bed, Avaya asked, Mom, what was the best part of your day? Her, his mom said that our ancestors are taking care of us today with our stories, our songs, and our ways. We are in a back and have been here for thousands of years, and Avaya, you need to keep the legacy and stories going for generations to come, just like your opa did.
0: Thank you, Frida. That was a great story. Thank you for calling in today and sharing that with us. Gosh, there's so many great indigenous stories that we can like learn lessons from and like she uh, ended with the elders have so much knowledge to pass uh, to us about the land and about spirits to keep us safe and often that is told through stories um, earlier in the show we were speaking with uh, chuji kingfisher he's a storyteller and was named the 2019 cherokee national treasure we still have him on the show and i just want to uh, end our show today by uh, talking to him for the rest of it and learning more about uh, the stories that he knows and the perspectives of why they're important in order to uh, keep our community members in line and teach us the, the tradition so chuji uh, are you still there i'm still here awesome so do you have any more like stories or like things you can share with us about why it's really important to keep passing these on generation to generation
4: well, in in, in our uh, in our ways as Cherokee people, and I'm sure in in many other cultures, you know, as I was listening to all the stories, uh, fascinated by how how familiar they are to me, even though they're in a different place. Uh, the the situations, the scenarios, uh, they're all very familiar to to our areas here as well. And so, uh, what that tells me is that uh, even though there were different people and speak different languages. Uh, we're still tied together by the stories. Um, it was good to hear my Greek brother Chris today, and uh, we have many of our stories similar to the ones that he told, and and all the myths and legends. But uh, as I was getting prepared for the show, uh, talking about it being the spirit of Halloween, you know, during this time, this is when it seems like all those scary stories that we hear from different communities come out. And uh, and you know I, I was searching through my mind of some of the things that uh, that these stories teach because many times our scary stories uh, they're just they're based on truth you know they're they're based in in uh, real life communities real life individuals uh, the only thing is that when we begin to tell the stories uh, we begin to change the names because uh, as Chris said you know many times those just belong to the communities. When we begin to share them with at large, then, you know, we, we don't want to disrespect uh, where those those families or those individuals or those communities uh, that these stories are coming out of. And that's kind of the way with this story that, that I'm getting ready to tell um, here in just a few moments.
0: Okay. Well, I'm... Fighting at the bit. I'm excited to hear it. Thank you for (laughs) racking your mind for it.
4: (laughs) So so the story takes place a a long time ago and, of course, way before I was born. And uh, they said that uh, among our people that when a person would pass away, that they would be buried with their valuables. And a lot of times that meant money. Uh, not so much jewelry or anything like that, but, but when a person was buried with their money, uh, there was usually medicine put on it. And we were always cautioned, you know, even as kids growing up, uh, not to bother those graves, not to bother, you know, don't, don't go digging around in those places over there because, you know, that, that thing has medicine on it. And so, so we were very cautious, especially when we were out in the woods hunting and this and that, uh there was no telling where a grave might be. You know, many times when I was out hunting, I stumbled upon graves here and there, and, and uh, I would respect them and clean them off and, you know, take care of them while I was in an area. But our people, they would, they would do this. And they started noticing that some of the graves were being opened up and that many of the valuables within those graves were being stolen. And so they tried their hardest to catch them, catch who, whoever it was. Many times the men of the community would set up and they would guard these cemeteries throughout the community, but always for some reason they could never catch the person. And so they were very concerned and they started looking around the community. There was a young man, and uh, they called him Hot Rod. Now, Hot Rod, he he was just a petty theft. He was a troublemaker. And they noticed that his lifestyle started changing. They noticed that his clothes were getting better. They noticed that he was eating at the cafe a little bit more. They noticed that he was getting a little bit heftier as he was eating more. And so they questioned him one day. They kind of cornered him up and asked him if he was the one that was robbing the graves. Of course, he denied, you know, as much as he could and kind of got upset and walked away from the men. And so the people, they were very concerned about all of this. And so they went to the medicine people and the medicine people, they looked and they saw Hot Rod's face. The elders, they came to Hot Rod one day as he was sitting in the cafe and they sat down with him and they began to talk with him and they told him said, Hot Rod, we know that it's you that's robbing those graves. And I said, if you don't stop, the ancestors they'll take care of it themselves. Of course, Hot Rod, he was one of those ones that was an unbeliever. And so he got upset and he stormed out of the café denying everything and so the people they watched the cemeteries they watched the graves and seemed like everything stopped and then they started noticing that Hot Rod was nowhere to be found they started thinking about it and they started looking for him concerned about it because he was still a member of their community And so as they started looking for him there, they found no trace. So they thought, well, maybe he's had his field. Maybe he's gotten his gain and he's moved on to another village or maybe he's moved on to the city. And so they dismissed it and a month went by and soon Hot Rod was forgotten. One early morning They heard sirens and everyone began to rush to one of the local cemeteries as a crowd had already gathered around and the police were pushing their way through the crowd and there was an open grave. Everyone gasped as they looked down into that open grave. And there in the open grave was Hot Rod. He had passed away. But that wasn't the eerie part about it. You see, there in that grave, the skeleton had grabbed Hot Rod around the torso and around the neck, and that skeleton was biting on Hot Rod's head, and Hot oh Rod gosh. had passed away.
0: Chuji, le- you can't leave us in the audience, us hanging. Can you uh, tell us the end of the story? <laughs> We're at the end so,
4: of the show. <laughs> so so because, because, of their, because of their superstition, they didn't take Hot Rod out, and they did a ceremony there, and they buried Hot Rod in that grave. And they said to this day, you can still see Hot Rod every once in a while running away from those cemeteries, always looking backwards. And if you look very carefully, there's always someone chasing Hot Rod out of the cemeteries.
2: Well,
0: thank you for wrapping that up for us. And that was a, a great story. And my takeaway is, geez, don't mess with the ancestors and, do, and be respectful of graves. Thank you so much, Chuji, for being on today's uh, show. And we know that uh, you have way more stories to tell. So we'll look for those on your website and, and other ways that we can interact with you uh, through the events that you do. So that's all the time we have for today's show. I'd like to thank again our guests, um, Chuji Kingfisher and um, Chris Hill. This was a great episode of Native American Calling. I hope you have a great rest of your day.
5: Are you a welder? For over 40 years, D&R Tank, who support this show, have provided tanks and tank maintenance to communities throughout the Southwest and is currently hiring experienced welders. Info at 505-873-1101. Lakota-made indigenous first medicines and eco-friendly personal care products are small batch prepared in the Lakota traditions using sustainably harvested natural and organic ingredients, and all can be found at LakotaMade.com who support this show. Repatriation is the return of ancestors and stolen culture. The Association on American Indian Affairs and the Citizen Potawatomi Nation host the ninth Annual Repatriation Conference on November 7th, 8th, and 9th. The conference provides in-person and virtual expert training about domestic and international repatriation. Learn how to register at indian-affairs.org. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this show.